Proverbs chapter 18, we're continuing our perusal in the book of Proverbs, and as you might know by now, just jumping around here and there as the Lord leads. Tonight, we're looking at Proverbs 18 and verse number 2. I'll give you a moment to find that, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 2. All right, the Bible tells us here, verse number 2, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. We're going to cover this verse in as much detail as we can, but before we do that, please bow your heads with me and let's pray together and ask for God's help. Lord, we come to you tonight in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for this great privilege and honor to be in the house of God on a Sunday evening. Lord, and here we are with a Bible in front of us. We don't want to take this opportunity for granted. Please come down and meet with us and speak to our hearts. Give reproof where needed. And give encouragement, Lord, where needed. And I pray you let us leave tonight better than how we entered the building. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse number two, it says, A fool hath no delight in understanding. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I gave you a, a breakdown of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So just a quick review so that you can appreciate this verse. Understanding is when you see the big picture. A fool has no delight in that. He, he gets no joy at all out of seeing the big picture and getting things right according to the big picture. In his mind, in his heart, as long as it makes sense to him, that's all that matters. So the fool by definition, when you read the book of Proverbs, a fool is somebody who does not take a long look. He doesn't sit to consider the options and try to find the right thing. He's going to act by impulse more often than not. He's not thinking of the big picture. He's not thinking long term. What makes me happy? So there's maybe two sides to this you can consider. For the fool, what is ultimately most important is getting what he wants, not God getting what God wants. Does that make sense? Because understanding, biblical understanding, is seeing the big picture as God has portrayed it. God, you tell me what's important. Whereas the fool says, I really don't care what God or anybody else thinks. What's important is what I say is important. So when you try to sit and explain to him, listen, you... I know you're passionate about this or that, but that's not really important. He has no delight in hearing such things. So a fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. So the fool desires to find what he already has. Think about that. He's, he's desiring to find, look at, at the end of the verse, may discover itself. Well, he, he already knows what he thinks and feels on certain things. What he's looking for is not a better understanding. He's not searching for truth so that he can change and become a better person according to God. He is looking for things that will support what he already is and how he already feels. He wants somebody to tell him that all of his energy, effort, his pursuit in life is perfectly fine and worth all the effort. So his heart is looking around for something that will support what's already there. Look at verse number 1. I've always thought that verse 1 and 2 should be taken together. So let's, let's look at both of them uh, in, for a moment here. It says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. 
So this man has a desire. Right? But the, the verse doesn't tell us is a desire for truth, is a desire to discover what he already has in his heart. Verse 1 is kind of broad in that way. So this pursuit that we read about in verse number 1, a man who will separate himself, that is, get away from all the distractions of the world just to study. Now, now is there anything wrong with breaking away to study? No, that's, that can be a worthy pursuit, but it does depend on what you're seeking after. Right? So the pursuit of truth always worth the time. But if you're just seeking, as we read in verse 2, to discover what's already in your heart, that may not be worth your time. See? So let's talk about this a little deeper for a moment. Uh, this fool, he's, he's not trying to get better. He's trying to find a way to stay just the way he is. One preacher said it like this. He, he wants somebody to come and air condition the pig pen. Right? That's the prodigal son. He's wasting his living, right? his father's inheritance. He's wasting all of that, his substance, with riotous living. He's in the pig pen. And, and do you remember that verse in Luke 15? I think it's verse 17. The Bible says that he came to himself. And it dawned on him. He kind of looked at himself from a third-party angle and went, what are you doing? Now, see, this fool has no delight in that type of thing happening. He comes to himself, and, and he looks at the pig pen, and he says, you know what the problem is? Everybody else around me. They should just understand what I'm going through, and I'm just, you know, trying to find myself. And he'd find himself in the pig pen and say, now, this pig pen is, listen, just bring the air conditioner. Because I'm not leaving. I'm not changing. Society has to accept me for me the way I am. Doesn't that sound like society today? You just have to accept me the way I am. He, the, the fool has no delight in changing or conforming. So think about this now. As a Christian, that's a shameful position to get into where you say, this is how I am, just accept it. We, we should always be looking for opportunities to change and get better. And when I say better, you understand more like Christ. As a, as a Christian, we're always slowly conforming to the image of Christ, which means we're always open to God showing us some other truth that we haven't realized yet or something about our behavior that isn't quite right. And we appreciate that, even if it is a reproof or a rebuke. For us, that is a, a pleasant thing when somebody lovingly tells us you're missing the mark. Hold your place here. Get Psalm 1, I think it's 141. Let me just see if I can get there before you. Psalm 141. Yep, verse number 5. Psalm 141, verse 5. Psalm 141, verse 5. The Bible says here, let the righteous smite me. Now, he's not actually talking about somebody taking the fist like Duplessis and just hitting the other guy, you know, through the mouth. It's not that. This smiting is a particular kind of thing. You'll see it's, it's rebuking him. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. He says, I'm not going to hold a grudge. If you come to me lovingly telling me, this is... This is what God expects. This is understanding. And, and this particular pursuit, this journey you're on, is not going to end you up in the right place. We are grateful when somebody does that for us. 
Sometimes, as you know, the old saying is, the truth hurts. This verse illustrates that brilliantly. Sometimes the truth hurts. And a fool has no, no delight, takes no pleasure in sitting under preaching, having a counseling session, having a coffee with someone that's going to lovingly tell him, listen, I, I think you're trying, but I'm not sure your efforts are pointed in the right direction. I always think of Rehoboam whenever I consider Proverbs 18.2. You remember when King Rehoboam was trying to get established on the throne, he, he went and found some advisors, right? So he had a situation with, with Jeroboam rebelling, and he went to the older men in the kingdom asking for advice. He said, what do you guys think we should do? Should, should, should I uh, lighten up a bit and treat these guys gently, or should I bring the hammer down? And the older men said, listen, you have a perfect opportunity to mend the kingdom here. Be gentle, be meek. And that is not what Rehoboam wanted to hear. So the Bible says he went and found the younger men that were his age. And if you watch the language of those verses, you will see when Rehoboam talks to the older men, he says, what counsel do you give that, that I should tell the people? So it's you're there, I'm here, we're not together. But when he talks to the younger men that are his age, he says, what counsel do you give that we should say to them? He already had decided whose side he was on. He wanted the advice of those younger men. And they said, this is the time to drop the hammer and show them who's boss. That's what Rehoboam wanted to hear. So many people take this foolish approach that I will go from counselor to counselor until I find the one that tells me what I want to hear. That's what Proverbs 18.2 is warning us against. You don't want to get that, that uh, uh, approach in your mind, I'm just going to bounce around in life finding yes men, people that will tell me I'm fine the way I am. You want somebody that will be bold enough to tell you the truth. If I can, I want to read you an email, and I think this speaks to several different things. I'm going to try to be delicate about this. I'm not going to read all of this email exchange that I have with this person. This happened some years ago. I think this illustrates, number one, you might realize what kind of emails come, in, come into the church and what kind of questions we, we get asked. Number two, this is one of those hot topics in society, so perhaps this can shed some light on how you might approach it if somebody asks you this same question. And I think you'll also hear within this email exchange something that pertains to Proverbs 18, verse 2. I believe you'll see this lady that wrote in, her desire was to find somebody to tell her what she wanted to hear. So let me give you both sides of this. Uh, first, let me read what she wrote. She contacted me first. And, and guys, this is complete. I'm, I'm leaving all the names and details out because the idea is not to somehow throw shade on her, okay? I'm just trying to illustrate my point. That's it. She wrote, Dear Pastor Mike, my family and I live in, and she gave the city, however we may be moving soon, and in searching for places of faith nearby our home, I came across your YouTube channel. I've only listened to a couple of sermons so far. However, I really resonated with your words on raising children and the ways in which we must teach them to live in the faith and to be able to discipline themselves for when they are living their own lives one day. All right, so we're off to a good start. And then she comes to the heart of the issue, or heart of the matter. She says, there is a topic which has great impact on me and my family from the beliefs of some Christians and some Baptists, and that is their acceptance or rejection of me and my wife as a gay couple. I know you don't speak for all in your congregation, 
and that just like the child, you must allow them to make their own decisions even as you try to guide them. But may I please ask your own position and the position you teach in the church on me living my truth and my wife hers, especially as we are raising our family to be loving and accepting people for who they are and to judge people not on who they fall in love with, but on their works and their kindness and character. So she wants to know my position on that. And I'm, I'm actually fine with these kind of questions. I, I, have no, I, I am glad for these kind of interactions. And I, I would actually invite more people to bring this subject up because many times both sides of this conversation are afraid to address it. Because either side is, one side has already got his mind made up, there's nothing right about you. And the other side's looking at that saying, there's no way you'll ever listen to my whole story. And it's a shame we don't get a chance to actually talk about it. She said, I am hoping and praying that if Pachastrum does become our home, that our faith and family will also have a home with you and your community. Thank you and God bless. So my response was the following. Hello, and I gave her name. Okay, sorry. Uh, thank you for your email and sincere question. Gay marriage is certainly a delicate topic in many ways, and I have found it better to sit in person in order to answer the questions that surround the issue so that there's a better understanding not only of what we're saying to each other, but also of how it's being said. If I can just give you a little bit of practical advice that's maybe off topic, whenever you're dealing with a delicate situation, a delicate subject, don't, don't deal with it over WhatsApp. Right? As much as you can. I, I know logistically it's not always possible. I mean, gold medal is to sit down in the flesh, face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and that way they can see your body language and your tone of voice and all of that, right? Uh, so I get it. It's an email, and we're going to do the best we can, but as much as you can, deal with that stuff in person. I went on to say, I know that some Christians, and Baptists in particular, can be quite rough about this subject, and I don't appreciate that approach. Let me do the best I can in an email to give you an honest answer to your question, but please know that I only have good intentions. I believe and teach that homosexuality is not natural. I arrive at that conclusion both by my own observation of nature and by scriptural conviction. I'm sure you're familiar with the scriptures that I would offer to support that conclusion, but if perhaps you're not, I would be happy to explain that further. That being said, I approach this like any other sin, that is, God can provide the necessary grace and love so that a person can change and conform to the image of Christ. Amen. Now, I realize that everybody's going to come with their own story, and it might be more challenging for some than others, but I believe that. And if you believe the Bible, you should believe that. 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about how some of the Corinthians were caught up with homosexuality. They'd gotten saved, and they had changed. So that's a biblical truth. I went on to say, I have taught on this subject both at the university, in a public setting, and in our church. When dealing with it, I try to emphasize that although I do not condone homosexuality or gay marriage, I also do not condone disrespectful behavior toward the gay community. Amen. Just because you have a biblical truth doesn't give you the right to stomp around shoving it down people's throats. Amen. I, I believe that. I, I went on again. You mentioned in your email that you're living your truth. And I fully respect your God-given right to choose how you live. 
But I would disagree with the idea of each individual having his or her own truth in this respect. I believe there are some situations in life that are relative in nature and subject to individual preference. I also believe, however, that certain things are true regardless of personal perception. I believe that God intended for marriage to be between a man and a woman, and that is not subject to individual preference. Amen. I believe I'm on solid biblical ground saying that, okay? And, and I hope you can see it in the, how I've worded that. I was very, I, I approached this prayerfully and carefully. I'm, I'm trying not to be aggressive about it, but honest. We have had a few gay people come to our church. Some changed their views and developed heterosexual relationships with time. Others are still battling with the issue, and we respect the fact that they need more time to make a decision. Others did not agree with the views we put forth and decided not to come back, but told me before they left that they appreciated the attitude with which I approached the subject. Now, these are things I don't step up in the pulpit and say, hey, we had a visitor, and this I'm not going to advertise that. And, and even now, I'm only, as I said, I'm trying to give you this little bit of insight so that you uh, can see how this can be dealt with delicately and, and, and sensitively. But still, we're, we're going to come to our point about her own truth here in, in a moment. I finish off by saying, I hope that tells you what you wanted to know. As I mentioned before, I prefer to answer this type of inquiry in person so that you have a better idea of my attitude toward it. If you would like to chat further about the situation, I'm willing to participate. If this email, however, has sufficed, I understand and will respect your decision to search elsewhere. I'm not going to keep pounding her with a bunch of emails. Why didn't you answer me? Oh, you're scared. You're intimidated. That's, that's not going to help at all. I've said what I needed to say. I answered her question. The rest now, as far as my part now, I, I'm, I'm going to back away and let the Holy Spirit work on her as, as he sees fit. Now, what, what troubled me about this email, and you heard it, I emphasized it in there, we are living, she said, I'm living my truth. My wife has her truth. And, and this is not the type of issue. When we have a black and white issue in the Bible where it's spelled out clearly that this is what God intended, in this case, for marriage to be, then you don't have room to say, well, I'm going to let my heart discover itself. And because I feel okay with it and I'm comfortable with it and this is the way that I think it should, that, that doesn't apply when God has given a clear verse on it. Unfortunately, a lot of times with these situations, and might I say, the reason I, I left the door open for her to reach out, when I have tried to minister to people with such struggles, there's always a deep, deep backstory. And you need to hear the entire backstory. Rarely does somebody just one day, oh, now I want to do that. Something pushed them that way or got them thinking that way, and it's always going to be a unique story to that person to, to a great extent. So when somebody comes and says, well, I'm just looking for my truth or something to support my truth, this is when we have the obligation to say, this is the truth. This is the truth. Now, they may not like that. They may not come back. They may not want to talk further, but we still have to offer the truth. Uh, take your Bible. Come to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. And let's talk for a moment on why it's dangerous to just follow your heart. You understand Proverbs 18 too, that the heart may discover itself. If the end goal 
of your quest for knowledge is to find something that will tell you you're okay. Let's see just how okay your heart is. Right? Because that's the end goal for the fool. He wants to discover his own heart. Well, let's see what prize awaits him at the end of his journey. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is what? Say it again. The heart is what? Young people, everybody under the age of 18, help me real loud. The heart is what? Young people, there's more. Come on, I hear you guys yelling all the time. Help me out here, nice and loud. The heart is what? Okay, we're getting there, good. The heart is deceitful. All right, young people, help me again. Above how many things? Cabello, I love that you put yourself in the young category. That's awesome, man. You're good. That's, that's a blessing. Keep, keep going with that, brother. Me too. <laughs> young people, help me out. How many things? Above how many things? All things. Do you see that? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately, not just wicked, desperately wicked. The question is, who can know it? So the fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Do you see how foolish that journey is, that quest is? Because you're never going to understand everything going on in your heart. Who can know it? It's an unending... If your final authority is your heart, the, the imaginations of your heart can change. Your emotions can change. Your feelings can change. That's not a solid foundation on which to build your life. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10. I love it when the Lord answers his own questions. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. He said, if you want to know what's actually going on in your heart, and if it's right or wrong, come ask me. I'll tell you. Because if you try to judge that by yourself, I promise you, if you look long enough, you will find somebody that will support the decision that you're trying to make. Especially with the advent now of the internet and YouTube and TikTok and all that stuff. You're going to find some opinion floating around out there that is close enough to what you feel in your heart. Look how deep the problem is. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. Look at how, look at how difficult this is to get over. Jeremiah 17, 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. That's, that's getting the job done deep. Look at it. The, point of a, the pen of an iron and the point of a diamond, it is graven upon the table of their what? Of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. It affected their religion. See? But it, it first affected the heart. Before it, before it affected the outward show of religion, it was written on their hearts, etched in with the point of a diamond, deep with the pen of iron, that's not something you can change through your own power and through your own educating of yourself. That's something where the Lord has to step in and change your heart and put a new heart in there. That's the only way that gets fixed. Turn your Bible to Mark chapter 7, please. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, let's read verses 20 to 23. 
Mark 7 and verse 20, the Bible says, And he, that is Jesus, he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Where does the corrupt behavior come from? It comes from a corrupt heart. So for the fool who is searching around, seeking and intermeddling with all wisdom, right? Not all wisdom is godly wisdom. There is such thing as, as the wisdom of this world, which is a bad thing. It's earthly, sensual, devilish. And people will look around, look around, only trying to discover what's already in their heart. What are you looking for? You are looking for the source of all filth. You're looking for something that is desperately wicked. What, have you, what prize have you won if you find it? This isn't a worthy pursuit. Rather say, God, please show me what's wrong with my heart and how to change it. What should I be touched by? What should move my heart? Look at 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, let's begin reading in verse number 2. I think this is probably the New Testament equivalent of Proverbs 18 and verse 2. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. All right, so you're going to tell people the Bible. Give, give them the Bible. And if it's a rebuke, all right, they need it. If it's encouragement, exhortation, give them that. It says you give them doctrine, but you need to do it with all long-suffering. Long Why? People aren't going to just immediately go, oh, that's the truth, fine, I'll just drop everything and change. It takes time. So you have to expect that when you're trying to help people with, with biblical truth. Verse number three, Paul says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, do you see where it says they heap up teachers? They heap to themselves teachers? That's Proverbs 18, verse 1. Seeking and intermeddling with all wisdom. They're, they're, they're clicking on every YouTube video they see, some other sermon, some other philosophy, something. They're looking around for what? Itching ears. Tell me what I want to hear. Verse three, uh, 4, rather. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The problem is the itching ears. They don't have ears to hear. They're not tuned to God's Word. Their ears are tuned to the desires of their own heart. And if something is said that doesn't agree with what's in their heart, they reject it. Look at John chapter 18. Now, as you find that, let me point this out, perhaps a worthy note. As you sit in church and you hear preaching, some of it is going to be re reprove and, and rebuke. You are going to hear things that go against you and that challenges you to change again and again and again. Don't tire of that. 
Don't, don't get weary with hearing that. Right? This is somebody trying to help you. This is the Holy Spirit trying to get you where you need to be. But not all preaching is that. And, and please understand this. Even when you reach out to your friends and neighbors and coworkers and fellow schoolmates, not, you don't need to run around showing people everything they're doing wrong with the Bible. Sometimes you can encourage them and say, hey, this particular thing is very good, well done. So there's reproof, there's rebuke, but there's also exhorting. And that's saying, hey, well, this is a, a worthy pursuit. This is a good thing you're doing. Hang in there, keep doing it. And we exhort and encourage people to continue down that path. So please have that balance as well. John 18 and verse number 37 The Bible says here, this is Jesus standing before Pilate. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. What Jesus is saying there is, I've come to tell people what they need to hear. I've come to give them the truth. Now, if you are of the truth, what that means is your life is shaped by truth, not by feelings, not by your own heart, but by truth. So every time I find something in my life that doesn't align with the truth, I'm happy to stop that behavior, change, and get lined up with the truth. This is why Jesus wasn't the most popular character when he was walking around. And this is why he ended up on the cross, because he would not tell his fellow Jews that they were okay the way they were. He would tell them what they needed to hear. Guys, it all comes down to what we saw in that verse where, where we began. A fool hath no delight. Through desire a man separates himself. What do you desire and in what do you delight? If you are the kind of person that delights in truth, then whether it's rebuke or encouragement, you're always glad to hear truth. Even if you have held a certain position, perhaps you've had a certain approach to life for the last 20, 30 years, and one day it comes across and you realize, wait a minute, I didn't, I have been doing it wrong this long. You rejoice, you're not embarrassed. You rejoice that, hey, finally I got this right. Don't ever be embarrassed to admit that you had it wrong and now you need to change. That, that's not a shameful thing. That's actually a wonderful example of humility. To say it doesn't matter if I've done it this way for 20 or 30 years. That doesn't make it right. If there's something I can do better, then I'm happy that God has pointed it out. If there's something in your life that doesn't line up with what God desires. Because guys, that's what understanding is. It's the big picture. So let's, let's end on this verse. Come to Revelation chapter 4. And, and let's answer the question then, what does God desire? In what does God delight? And perhaps this will give us a good way forward. You're looking at Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. As you find that, let me remind you what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse number 6 there, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. All right? now, now, the reason that's important he says, this is how you please me. Your faith is going to be involved. How, how does faith, how does the transaction of faith work? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so Lord, please continue to speak to me through your word and show me what needs to be changed. 
I don't want to conform to this world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Show me how I should feel, what I should do with my thoughts and emotions. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Why did God make everything? Why did He make you for His pleasure? And that's why I gave you the verse from Hebrews. Without faith, it's, Im it's impossible to please Him. Why did God make us? It's more than just giving Him glory. I, 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 please, I don't want to downplay that. We need to glorify Him by all means. But the chief goal of making man and making man in His image was that we could have something in common with Him so we could fellowship with Him and enjoy Him and actually understand Him to the extent that He gives us revelation. So he says in Jeremiah chapter 9, Let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's why he put us down here. So that we could enjoy his fellowship. So that we could appreciate what a great God he is. Hopefully this then. See? Now a fool wouldn't delight in that. But if you're not a fool, you look at that and you go, oh, Okay, well then th that's, that sets the standard. I'm going to press toward that goal. I want to put a smile on God's face. And if there's something in my heart that doesn't make him smile, that thing needs to go. So don't be the fool who's just trying to find his, his own heart. You be the wise man who's trying to find the heart of God on any issue in life. Let's all stand, please. All right, thank you for being here tonight. We're going to pray, give you a moment to just talk to the Lord about what you've heard, and then let you guys enjoy some fellowship. In a couple of weeks here, we'll have Bible school also, so we'll be doubling up quite a bit. But for now, hopefully this has fed you enough for the, for the rest of the day. Father, we thank you tonight for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for the reminders throughout the, 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 the Bible, but especially in the book of Proverbs, about keeping that big picture in mind. And Lord, please search our hearts. Try us. Know our thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. God, whatever it is that isn't pleasing to you, Lord, help us. Give us the strength and grace to change it. And Father, even here tonight, if somebody's here and perhaps they haven't considered the bigger picture, might they take a long look at that? Lord, help them. Help me, Lord, please. If there's something in me that isn't pointing in the right direction, redirect me, please. Thank you for this good day in church. I pray you bless the fellowship now, one with another. In Jesus' name, amen.